Happy 4th of July week, everybody. This is Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 25 of Bizarro World. Nick, we're going to talk freedom. We're going to talk Fed, the gold. We're going to talk about those annoying-ass robocalls. Eric Trump got spat on. Spat on or spit on? Spoot. He got spooted. We're going to talk about how much your data is worth. And we're going to get to it right now. This is episode 25, Bizarro World. How are things going, Senor Hodge? I'm doing good, Gerardo. Looking forward to seeing my family next week. First time my sister, her husband, and their baby will make it to Spokane. And we're going to go celebrate freedom by uh, planting ourselves on a lake shore with some fireworks and booze. How about you? How are you? I am excellent. The wife still loves me. The kids are healthy. Um, we plan a week worth of families activities as always. And so excited on that front. Freedom is going to be a big theme for this podcast. And we're going to start by talking about the Fed and gold and Bitcoin, as we always do, and the G20 meeting that's coming up, which is important. Um, all market catalysts that I think set the stage for the second half of this year. But we're also going to talk about, you know, the Supreme Court and some of the rulings today. I said it's Fourth of July week. Everybody knows we record on Friday. We publish on Monday. So the Supreme Court uh, made a couple of rulings that I think um, are worth talking about. And in the context of the little girl and the father from El Salvador who were found face down in the Rio Grande at the border. Um, and that just tragic, tragic situation where thousands of people are fleeing, you know, Central America to Mexico. And um, I, I think it's important to talk about the institutions and the laws that are being used to enforce um, the separation of adults from children and then the conditions that those children are being kept in. Um because there's a lot of that that only makes sense if you look at it one way. But before we get to the sad and depressing part where I get really pissed off, let's talk uh, gold. Gold held 1400 It's actually closed at 1408 as we speak. It's obviously had a heck of a run. Um, no one believes the rally, which again just makes my contrarian heart smile. I think that we are in a new gold bull market, and I think that the equities have yet to really respond to it, which is fantastic because it allows me to buy some more at these really, really depressed prices. Thoughts on that, Nick? Um, that's all about right. It's been textbook so far. I think I wrote today um, the senior producer have led the rally followed by the intermediates and the junior producers with the developers as you say uh, and the explorers really not participating in much of the upside as of yet but it's on the way um, you've told me and other people have said that as long as we close the month above 1362 that we're technically in a gold bull market um by the time this podcast hits the airwaves or the public or whatever you want to call it it will be a new month so we will see but as you say it closed today over 1400 um looks pretty strong albeit um it has pulled back a bit from the the 1440 it ran to but uh, I think, as I said last week, looks pretty good this time, feels strong, feels different, and um, 
I, th- I think, you know, we saw some of the M&A precede this that we talked about weeks and weeks ago, right, mm. with uh, the Barrick and the Newmont deals and all that kind of stuff. And I saw some people saying this week that, um, like you said, no one really believes the rally and everyone's trying to come up with an excuse for why it's not real, why it's not going to last. And I saw someone saying it's not real because there's no M&A. Well, Maybe not in the past week, but if you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you take a if you take a step back and you say we just had some some super M and A, I mean billion dollar deals with the one and two and you know top five gold companies in the world plus some other ones uh, in the past two years, and I'd expect that they're uh, it, look Atlantic Gold was just taken out so at a forty you know, something I, I percent premium. They're... Sorry to interrupt, but this is an important point at a forty percent premium, right? And and this was not an isolated case. Anybody that tells you that calls himself a gold expert or whatever the heck they call themselves and says there hasn't been M&A, not only has there been M&A, it's been at a substantial premium, um, which highlights the value of the assets and how undervalued they are right now. I digress. Back to you, Nick. Sorry. No, that that's it. And so, yeah, there has been M&A. So not only are we technically in a gold bull market with the, the price, but uh, the fundamentals are obviously there as well with, uh, you know, whatever, depletion of, of reserves, lack of discovery of big new deposits, all that stuff that, that we've talked about before. So uh, it, it feels it feels really good. What doesn't feel really good is the some of the, the geopolitical reasons that, that gold is higher, the, mm. the specter of war with uh, Iran. Brand, which you know i certainly don't want and, and and hopefully listeners don't want either but that is nonetheless also stoking the the flames of of higher gold prices and and bitcoin prices as well i was i was doing some reading this week because again not a bitcoin expert but was reading about um uh people trying to to buy bitcoin in uh iran and how U.S. sanctions were affecting that, causing certain exchanges to close down and how uh, basically the market in reals, Iranian reals for Bitcoin has devolved into only a a peer-to-peer situation where you can only buy uh, from uh, another person directly as opposed to uh, on an exchange because they keep, it's like whack-a-mole, right? Because the government uh, wants them shut down, et cetera. But it it just underscores the reasons why people want to own uh, gold and and Bitcoin in these times. And, 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 And that's, that's bull market stuff for safe havens, right? That's where we are. That's exactly where we are. And, you know, the, the, the rise in gold here this past month or so reminds me exactly almost of the rise in the Dow over the past eight years where, you know, Harry Dent, who's probably jumped off a roof or thought about it, you know, a million times by now, keeps calling for a market crash. And I don't know if he's done so recently, but I remember he was he was heavy on the America is going to crash and the stock market's going to crash, you know, back to three da- 3,000, Dow 3,000. That just is not the case. Nobody understood the fundamentals that were underpinning um, the blue chip stocks and the Dow and the S&P and NASDAQ stocks for that matter. And I think that we're in the very, very beginning. I'm talking top of the first with nobody out, no men on, second pitch type stuff in the gold market. It reminds me exactly of, you know, frankly, the past 10, 11 years in the Dow and in and, and the major U.S. indices. To this day, nobody believes that this this Dow rally, the, the U.S. indices rally is sustainable and you know, I, I've said it before, you're going to get pullbacks, but Dow 40,000 will be here in the next couple of years. 
From my seat in the publishing world, I can assure you that Mr. Dent is back out pushing his <laughs> bearish promotions. I'd love to wager with the gentleman in a respectful way. So if there is ever the opportunity ah. to have a respectful dialogue or debate um, about past, present, and future, and we could wager maybe a, a nice bottle of wine or um, you know, something along those lines, that would be excellent. But you are, you are the world famous Nick Hodge, not I. So I will, I will defer to you on that front. I do not know him personally. <laughs> I have just seen, uh, that he's someone that his publishing company or whoever publishes this letter is out there spending ad dollars, uh, because I've seen the ads recently, but maybe someone, some listener to this podcast can facilitate. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Let's talk cryptos. Let's talk Bitcoin. It uh, it flirted with 14,000, a little too fast, a little too soon, had an extra couple of drinks, got a little sassy. It's time to have a little water, hydrate, make sure you drive home with your friends so you get home safe. We're back to 10,800. Not bad considering where we were a month ago. It's like the sequel, Too Fast, Too Furious, Crypto Race 2. <laughs> I love it. Nick, you said off the top that you were not a crypto expert. Um, you've been damn good about calling tops, bottoms, tops, bottoms again. And now here we go. Is this pullback sending us back to 3000 or is this just a, a stutter, st stutter step or a head fake or a one, two before we get to 2025 and 30? Like I believe. Well, I was thinking about it earlier and, and I'm not, but you know, we, we talked about this company, Hydro 66, and we try to surround ourselves with people that uh, know more about the things we invest in that we do so we can glean insight. And, and one of the insights that I've been able to glean from Hydro 66 is through its founders who are uh, much smarter in the tech space than I am, uh, having, uh, you know, uh, been some of the guys who, who listed the the first company uh, tech company on the uh, uh, you know dot com company on the the London Exchange the AIM Exchange the AIM or um, you know having pioneered the predecessor search engine that eventually became what Microsoft bought and turned into Bing um, and then had the foresight to um, go big into crypto before the the first. Uh, crypto run in, in 2016-17, early uh, 18, I guess, call it. And then, again, this this time, um, you know, they have hired people and they run their own algorithms and they do their own proprietary research to try to determine um, when the, uh, the mining algorithm that determines how difficult it is to mine bitcoin is at an advantageous point to deploy their own assets i hope i'm hope i'm making sense if you you are following along but what i'm saying is these guys can almost figure out when it's beneficial for them to turn on and off their crypto mining machines that's sort of the best way to put it or when it's um beneficial to buy more crypto mining assets and deploy them and recently they said hey it's time to buy more crypto assets and deploy them and oh hey um Crypto prices, specifically Bitcoin, are about um, 
the cost, uh, what it costs for us to mine them. And so I'm not a crypto expert, but it doesn't, you know, bind squirrel, right? It's, it doesn't take much to figure out with those data inputs that, hey, let me scratch my head for a second. And if it costs you whatever, $3,600 to make a Bitcoin and it, it, people are only buying Bitcoin for $3,600 that, you know, maybe the price has to go up or it's not a sustainable market, right? Just like with any other widget or commodity or textile. And so, that's how I was able to say, hey, maybe now's time to start putting some money into a crypto company or whatever. It's not because I understand hash rates and petahashes and GPUs and ASIC bit mining, whatever. I don't. I don't. It's just fundamentals. All those words just made my head explode. Hold on while I put it back together, Nick. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, it's, it's, it's head exploding stuff, I think. <laughs> It's interesting to me that, that Bitcoin seemed primed for 14,000 and then there was a Coinbase outage, which is, you know, funny, not funny, because this exact same thing happened a couple of years ago before Bitcoin ran up to the 20,000 level, right? Except that there's actually better fundamentals underpinning it this time around. There's a lot more institutional interest. Um, the volume is, is, you know, it's still very manipulated, but it's a lot more than it was um, a couple of years ago. So, yeah, I'm actually pretty bullish on cryptos for the same reason that I'm bullish on gold. Every day that goes by, more and more people will lose faith in their governments. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about the government of El Salvador, who has done a shit job of providing a safe environment for its citizens, or Nicaragua, or Mexico for that matter. Um, it's not a coincidence that when you are in a country full of murder and lawlessness and corruption, people try to get away from that and find a better way, which is where we're at now with the crisis at the border. Um, some, some of it is manufactured. This is not that hard of a problem to figure out. If we had somewhat competent, non-corrupt politicians here in the U.S., the U.S. does not get a pass. We've done a shit job, both administrations of addressing immigration. Nobody's done a damn thing really since Ronald Reagan, which is when my parents became citizens. So this isn't a partisan thing. Um, I will say the folks on the right are leading the charge to pimp kids. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit because it pisses me off. But back to the markets. We got the G20 meeting, which by the time you folks listen to this would have passed. The base metals have been kept in check, specifically zinc and copper, despite some pretty strong fundamentals. Um, I know there's infrastructure packages that have been delayed pending a resolution. Nobody wants to commit to trillion dollar infrastructure packages if the goods and products and materials needed to build out the infrastructure is going to be taxed, which is obviously the threat. So I hope that by the time you all listen to this podcast, we have a resolution there. And I hope it's a favorable one because trade wars are not sustainable. Um yeah, on this point, I've said it before, I actually agree with President Trump that we need to do a better job here in the U.S. of securing our intellectual property. The Chinese have done a brilliant job of taking our best ideas and technology for many, many decades. Um, they've ran the board brilliantly. So, you know, um, I'll leave that there. I'd love to hear your thoughts, Nick. No, not many thoughts on 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 any of that. You you said it pretty well. Other than um, we got this pesky war thing brewing that I that I can't figure out, but um, I've been trying to to sort of put my finger on. I don't know if if we're at the end of the monetary policy road and that's why we need a war, or if 
you know, it's our only alternative sort of stimulus because wars make great stimulus, right? And so, um, yeah, I don't know what's happening w- with Iran. It's something to it's something to keep your eye on for sh- for sure. Because um, personally, I don't think we need to be entering another another conflict. And um, secondly, it's gonna it's gonna affect safe haven prices. I think more than more than people think if we continue down this warpath. So um, lots of things coming. Mr. Mr. Mueller agreed to testify. I think that date is July 19th. And so, you know me, conspiratorial, contrarian guy. I'm thinking Trump is going to want to rattle some global markets around that time. I, you know, we'll see what happens. But lots to, lots to watch in the, in the next couple of weeks. It worries me that we have an election cycle now and you know, we have a president that whether, you know, whatever side of the fence you're on, I'm not a partisan person. I, I think both sides have some great ideas and I think both sides have some shit ideas. And I think, you know, I've said before, we should vote ideas, not people um, or media personalities. It should be more than a Twitter contest. But anyway, I digress again. Um, my point was going to be, it worries me that we're coming into an election cycle because the easiest way to rally a base is by catering to the more primitive impulses. Right. And so, um, we have the situation at the border that, make no mistake, is absolutely a twofold um, whistle call to one, the racist part of the base on the right, um, and two, the warmongering part of the base is the part that worries me with the situation in Iran. The common denominator, <laughs> the common denominator is the people in power make a lot of money, Nick. The, you know, the military industrial complex, Mr. Mills warned about this back in the sixties. I forget the name of the book. I'll put a link up to it, but he was writing about this back in the sixties about what the next four or five decades would look like for the United States. So, and, and he was so accurate in that book that the CIA, um, you know, the FBI at the time and the CIA put him on a list where he was a threat to national security because of how accurate it was. I, I think of you know, the little girl that was found hugging her dad face down on the Rio Grande. And this is a story that's pretty personal to me um, in the sense that, you know, I've made that crossing with my parents twice, um, as has my sister, illegally, before my parents became citizens um, in 1987, you know, thanks to Ronald Reagan and, you know, an acknowledgement from the Reagan administration that the economy was slow, that Mexican labor, if you if you if you let the best people in that wanted to work, it was it was skilled labor that was cheap. It would stimulate the economy. People would rent. People would buy things. People would buy homes. You know, and here we are, one generation later. You know, my brother went to Harvard. He's a journalist. Um, I am doing exceptionally well on my end. My sister's college college graduated. Here we are contributing and and trying to move our democracy forward in the best way possible. Um, the situation at the border has a nasty, nasty, nasty history. Um, and I don't know that many people are familiar with with the way that, you know, this section 1325 of, of the act that allows the criminalization of crossing the border. Are, are you familiar at all with that, Nick? Joaquin Castro, who is a, a Texas rep here who's running for president, did a beautiful job uh, during the debate of highlighting that in contrast Surprisingly, to Beto O'Rourke, who, who you know, has, has been a politician for a while on the border, has done an exceptional job, has done an exceptional job leading the charge with vets down there. Um, but but he, he, even he wasn't aware of the, the difference between um, the enforcement of that act and, and the part that makes it criminal. Are you aware at all 
of, of the history of that, Nick? I am not. Please go on. So once upon a time, right, the great nation that is America welcomed European immigrants. And because of everything going on in the 20s, people were fleeing, right? People were fleeing everywhere, the 20s and 30s. So there was a law. Congress passed a law that implemented a quota system for European immigrants, right? So Italians, Irish, the people that caught the brunt of the racism back in the days, along, of course, in this country with African-Americans. But in this case, we're talking immigrants. They were mostly Europeans. And so immigration restrictionists that had some pretty out there beliefs um, in 1924 passed a law implementing a quota. Earlier laws had banned Asian immigration. You still had the border, right? You still had Mexicans. You still had Central Americans. That started becoming a problem. So in 1929, uh, I'm sure he was a fine, fine person from the right, a white supremacist named Coleman Bleese from South Carolina. He was a senator who openly supported lynching, came up with an idea. Let's criminalize unauthorized entry. And so that's when crossing the border illegally became a criminal act. Prior to that, it was all thought of as a, you, you got a citation, civil citation, um, you showed up, and then that was that. And so the enforcement of the law, it wasn't really enforced for much of the 20th century. What changed was 9-11 and the establishment of the Department of Homeland Security under George W. Bush, who took it as a great way to make money, right? You set up Homeland Security, the military industrial complex makes out, the people in power, the, the Dick Cheney's of the worlds that have the access to all the corporations that are going to get all the contracts, oftentimes no bid contracts, were the people that made out the best. And here we are with a bunch of vets coming back that serve our country bravely, that have died over there, that come back with PTSD. And then we have the gall as a, as a country to treat them like shit. I'm ranting a bit because this all kind of ties back into this whole thing. So family separation is something that any president, because of this law, can enforce or not enforce depending on the mood, right? And so you could decide to not enforce the section 1325 of the act that makes illegal crossing of the border. What makes this particular version of it nasty are a couple of things. What they did is they went ahead and took what was a misdemeanor crossing the border, right? You were arrested, you crossed the border, you commit a crime, you go back to your country. There was, there was, there, there is a process in place that is legal that discourages illegal immigration, right? They took that and they said, well, if you come back a second time, it's a felony, regardless of what you were doing or what conditions you were fleeing. So the young lady, the little lady, the little girl, the baby that was found hugging her father, they weren't eligible for asylum. You know, they were leaving El Salvador because of the violence there. They weren't looking for asylum. They were looking to just come to a country that provided better opportunity. We can have a different discussion about, you know, the, 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 the way to do that responsibly. And that's a whole nother conversation, but to take what was a civil problem, a civil violation, make it a misdemeanor, then take that and make it a felony, then take that and make it to where you're going to separate parents from kids. It's a two for one, Nick. You then set up these detention camps where you have babies all bunched in they're making 700, I believe it's $750 per day per kid. And you got people that are up in front of Congress pleading to prevent these kids from having basic stuff like a toothbrush or a blanket or a comb. 750 per day per kid. And it's a two for one because they're getting that much for the adults too. So 
I ask you this, who among us in the United States of America right now that works a legal job makes 750 per day? Is there not a more efficient way to house these people? Let's, let, let's say they're criminals. Let's say it's a felony. They should be arrested, right? We're a country of laws. I've talked about in the past about what happens when laws go out the window. So we are a country of laws. It does not take $750 per day to house anybody in the most luxurious of conditions. I can go to downtown Austin and get the best hotel available for 400 bucks a night and I get everything and a pool. It's the pimping of kids. It's the pimping of immigrants. Well, it's the pimping of vulnerable people. And we're a well, better sure. country than that. And the, and the politicization of it. But why um, why are they being held and, and not returned to Mexico? What am I missing? Are these the families money. that they separated? The money. Because they get 700 something dollars a day. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's yeah. got to be the money, and it's um, nasty, and it's the pimping of people, man. And and again, we're a better country than that. Well, unfortunately, that's the the state of politics, and unfortunately, some that messaging resonates with the base, as you said. But um, still, answer me this: those all those families, they were were they were they arrested crossing the border? They weren't rounded up in the U.S. Let me clear me up on that fact. Most most of the people that are coming over actually are coming from Central America. So initially when the media jumped on this story, it was being reported as, hey, we got to keep Mexicans out. Damn, Mexicans keep coming over. We're right on the border. We got a crisis at the border. Well, it wasn't that. It's 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 extreme violence that's happening in El right. Salvador, Nicaragua. Gua- right? Guatemalans. You got sure. Yeah, a- yeah. A- abs- absolutely. And so, you know, what, what's happened is every country, Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua has done a piss poor job of taking care of their people and, and it's forced people to take the kind of risk that, that, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on which way you look at it, it's only fortunate because I think this picture is going to mobilize people to have a serious discussion. Um, I don't know anybody that likes to see, you know, a, a baby face down hugging her father and that would, they, all they did was try to get to this country to come work. I think there's better ways to do that than, than, than to hold them and keep them. And again, let's just assume for the argument of law, Right. For for law's sake that, hey, these people are illegal. They're crossing the border illegally. Mind you, they hadn't got it there yet. But had they been arrested, they would have been held and detained. You shouldn't be detaining people for months at a time over something that's not violent. That's no crime other than the racist law that was passed back in 29 by a white supremacist. And that hasn't been enforced with the exception of just recently. There's better ways to do it, and it sure in the fuck should not cost $750 of my taxpayer money to keep a kid from having a toothbrush. Well, certainly not. And do you know what, I mean, there's got to be some sort of framework set up to 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 make that not happen. But what are the pressures that are going to be exerted to make that happen? I mean, you know, from my seat here, it's not like, you know, you can make a phone call and make that happen. We've seen, and you know, this ties into some, some larger fourth turning stuff that we've talked about, um, and where institutions have to change and burn down. And we saw yesterday some employees, um, I think it was Wayfair that the employees worked out, which is a big online furniture ordering company that I guess had supplied some uh, furniture to, was it DHS or to yeah. some of the buildings that were that were housing these 
families and the employees walked out. And so, um, yeah, that I don't story know, pissed me I, off. I, I don't have a solution, <laughs> Ger- yeah, that, Gerardo. That, that, I, I don't. I'll tell you upfront that I don't have a solution. But what I'm saying is this: you're you're starting to see actions being taken by individuals and groups of individuals at a public and private level that are, you know, trying to weigh in on on this debate. Yeah, you know, and the Wayfair thing upset me a little bit because that was ink that should have been dedicated. I'm glad they walked out. I'm glad people took a stand. I'm glad that people had the moral compass to say, hey, I don't want to contribute to anybody that's providing, you know, <laughs> any kind of infrastructure or materials to a place that's pimping kids, right? They they, 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 they understand that at a very basic level. Um, so, they, so they walked out. The media, of course, could have done a much better job of highlighting um, you know, Joaquin Castro's plan to repeal Section 1325, which is, again, get yourself a lobbyist. We've talked about this in the past. Vote for people that are going to actually get up there and fight for your interest. In this case, Mr. Castro has the best plan in immigration on both sides. You know, I, I, ho- I hope he finds, you know, a way, whether he's elected or not, and, and he likely won't, but I hope he finds a way to work across the aisle and, and come up with a plan that is modern, that addresses um, the the inequality in the Central American countries and in Mexico, the fi- that finds a way to, to, to do immigration justice. Because I can tell you that the legal framework that exists right now is absolute trash. I have friends, I have family members that have waited nine years for a response because they want to do it legally, because they want to uphold the law. And that's just not sustainable. You can't tell me, to me, it's a bigger crime if you know that you know, your child has a chance of starving or being killed or being raped. It's a crime for you as a father or a mother to stay in that environment and not look for a better opportunity. And unfortunately, in many, many cases, it's leading to what we saw this past week in that tragic photo. Um, But the part that really, really just upsets me and makes, you know, it it makes my heart cry, man. It's, It's the pimping of the kids. It's the pimping of the kids based on a law that was passed by a white supremacist in 1929. We're in 2019 and we're using the same old thing just to make money. It's nasty. It's disgusting. And again, there has to be a better conversation about that. I wish that the media would have dedicated the attention that it put on the Wayfair walkout because it was hot and sexy to talk about and really talked about you know, how realistic it is to repeal Section 1325. You know, can we come up with a Marshall Plan for Central America that that rebuilds a lot of what, frankly, the U.S. destabilized? Because we did that, and that's a whole other conversation. Back in the 80s, right, and 70s, we backed the, 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 the type of groups that are out there raising hell now. And so it's a complex issue. It's not that complex to understand, though, that the government shouldn't be receiving in private centers 700-something dollars a day per kid and not giving them, you know, the Ritz treatment. That's it. One hundred percent. Happy Fourth of July, everybody! No, it's a good rant, and it's good that that we're a democracy. But it's not good that that's the state that we have found ourselves in. And so, you know, we had the first debate last night of the Democrats. I don't know when the second one is tonight or in the coming days. And we're kicking off an election campaign here that's going to be. Uh, on the one hand, thoroughly uh, a dog and pony show and thoroughly entertaining and politically uh, disgusting, as we've come to expect. But on the other hand, um, very important and uh, at a critical time for for 
many issues, so socially uh, and economically. So, right, interesting times, as we always say. Fourth turning, it's hitting the fan. It's a bizarro world. Um, let, let, let's get right into how much is your data worth. That was interesting. Um, it's funny. I had a conversation with a, a gentleman that's familiar to you and I that we each consider a mentor. And he said, this is the easiest fucking thing in the world to, to, to figure out. He said, you just take Facebook and you divide it by the number of users. And of course, it's not as simple as that. But you could probably get a pretty good idea of how much the data is worth if you just kind of took that simple method, right? Um, I, I, I'm glad that we're having that debate. We said that privacy and, and freedom was going to be a big theme of, uh, of this podcast. Um, again, it's, it's social media pimping people, right? For profit. And, and many don't realize they're the product. Um, so I'm glad that politicians are finally talking about it. I, I worry that, um, it's them that are doing it that, you know, I, I wish that more corporations, um, like Apple, um, would take more accountability about data and privacy and, and, and how it keeps it and how it shares it and how it monetizes it. Um, I know you have thoughts on this, Nick. I'd love to hear them. I've spoken enough. <laughs> well, I don't know why we're talking about this or if there was something this week that um, brought this into the fore. But, um, you know, clearly your your data and your habits online and um, who gets access to them and, and who owns them it has been a debate for years. And you said it, Gerardo, you're the product. Look, if you're not paying for something, i.e. Facebook, i.e. Uh, Twitter, um, then you're the product. They are monetizing. The company that is providing that service is monetizing your data, the things you click on, the things you share, the things you um, write. They're selling that information and they're distilling it to discern things about you uh, so they can uh, sell you things. So, yeah, I have a lot. I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, one is uh, do your best to, to stay on top of the uh, habits and and what certain companies are doing uh what that means for me is delete your facebook account which which i did six or seven years ago um and you know facebook has really been the worst culprit of this and they've been on the congress having to to testify and, and they've been caught you know prying in on um, kids and, and luring kids to either sharing information or using apps that um, have user agreements that allow them to, to, to get way too much information uh, about people. And now, and now I'm going to just diary of the mouth for a little bit, they've got this Libra coin thing. And mm. um, the, Libra, the Libra coin thing is basically a way for them to, to bundle and sell your information to advertisers in a uh, a stable coin, it's called, but that's just jargon. It's like a digital token that's they can they're going to be able to to put all people's information and habits onto and have a price for that, so they can sell it to advertisers. Um, uh, it's a stable coin though, which means they're going to have to buy a lot of Bitcoin to actually make a market for it, which is bullish for Bitcoin in the in the long term. But again, as we say, that's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. So. Um, privacy, pri privacy online is obviously gone. You see the, the whole new cookies thing. I, you see ads for something you searched for. 
follow you around for days and months at a time until you clear your cookies. And perhaps the most poignant story I've seen on this, and this was probably a couple years ago, so it's certainly even worse now, was this dad who found out that his teenage daughter was pregnant because um, of the advertisements he started getting online. I guess because of the things his daughter was searching for, mm. he started getting ads. He started getting ads for, you know, whatever. And, uh, infant formula how to handle teenage pregnancy how to tell your parents you're pregnant etc cetera, etc cetera. so we figured out that his teenage daughter was pregnant right and it's like so that's so that's where we are that's where we are with this whole data thing and then and then these devices these alexas and these things that are people put that are putting in their home that are just sitting in the background listening to every single thing they they say and logging it um and sure all that stuff is getting parsed and analyzed and look it's no secret it's it's not a surprise uh, you know i've talked to people who say you know i was just talking about something and you know then i go on instagram and there's an ad for it there and i and i never searched for it it's like yeah no shit they're listening to what you say and then they're serving you up an ad for it like that's where we are it's it's just where we are Yep. And, and the reason this came up is that there was a bill that's being introduced by um, Democratic Senator Mr. Mark Warner and I believe um, Republican Senator from Missouri. I want to say his name was Josh Hawley, if I remember correctly, um, that, would, that, that would basically beef up regulations and, and make it more transparent and would force companies like Google to tell you exactly how much your individual data is worth to them. Um, so that's what that's what inspired the question and the conversation and the dialogue. We've talked about it in the past. Um, my worry is that it's politicians and everything takes longer than it should. Right. So my hope is that companies like Facebook and Google um, take take the writing on the wall and say, you know, we're going to do this voluntarily. Um, we're going to self-regulate. We're going to come up with a proposal that's fair. Um, and hopefully it's a step in the right direction moving forward because it definitely has to happen. It's um, it's one thing to know that you are being used um, and be okay with it and consent. It's another thing not to remember and then have somebody tell you what happened. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of backlash to it, like anything else, just like with the immigration. In fact, you know, everything goes too far to one side and then there's backlash and then it comes back the other way. I think over the next couple of years, it's already starting to happen now with some uh governmental actions in addition to the bill you mentioned some uh some ftc stuff you know i think we're going to see some antitrust cases brought against some of these big tech companies i think you're going to see a big backlash to the social media culture in general with the oversharing of everything and the memes and the echo chambers i just yeah you know i think it's you know just like truth is somewhere in the middle, I think yeah, these social trends and these online tr trends, they they go too far, too fast in one direction. And then they, uh, what do they say, Gerardo? They revert to the mean, as mm -hmm. it were. And so I think you're going to see that with this with this privacy stuff because it's it's over the top and, and sharks are being jumped. And, well, <laughs> I talked about it two years ago, so it's almost time for everybody else to care. That's how it goes. I have a story that I think brings it all full circle. Want to hear it? I do. It's politics. It's social media. It's everything, right? So Eric Trump was in Chicago, <laughs> was at a bar, and uh, allegedly a young lady that was a bartender there decided to spit on him. 
So Secret Service spoke with the young lady for several hours. Um, she was let go. She was not charged. She then posted on Facebook. Here's the social media aspect of it, right? She posted on Facebook, got fired for spitting on Trump Jr. Who's hiring? I'm a bartender. A friend of hers starts a GoFundMe page for this young lady and in 12 hours raises over $5,000, right? From people that apparently encouraged um, this young lady or were happy that this young lady spat on Mr. Trump. So turns out she actually wasn't fired for spitting on him and it really wasn't her. So the gentleman friend that set up the GoFundMe apologized said, listen, I spoke with her. It turned out it wasn't even her. I want to return all the money. Um, I, I, I definitely want to make sure that I support people who stick up for their communities. But in this case, she wasn't it. And I thought like, what a, what a microcosm of everything that's going on, right? How quick we react to things, how quick we're, 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 how quick we jump the gun on forming an opinion. Oh, I support that. Oh, I hate that without even taking the time for, you know, more than a day to kind of dissect it a little bit and dig into it a little bit more. Um, and somebody spat on Eric Trump in Chicago. Chicago's tough. What can I tell you? So somebody really did spit on him? Absolutely. Somebody definitely spit on him. Um, the young lady that said she got fired for spitting on him, however, was not the person that did so. Um, she happened to do whatever she did to get herself fired that day. Um, and, and I guess had the awareness of, of how people function in this social media climate and age and said, oh, this is going to be an easy way to get hired again by an anti-Trump supporter. And Hey, my buddy's going to start a GoFundMe. It's five G's in less than 12 hours. This is great. Fortunately, the gentleman that it's started so the 20... GoFundMe, it's so, yes, you're right. Fortunately, the gentleman, that it's started, so 2019, it's so 2019. And, and my last point is luckily the gentleman that started the GoFundMe had the decency once he found out it wasn't her to actually say, Hey, I'm giving the money back. I'm sorry. I don't like Eric Trump any more than the person that spat on him, but I'm not taking money for something that she didn't do. I spoke with her afterwards. It, it, it really wasn't her guys. So, um, yeah, that's where we're at in the world guys. It's a bizarre world out there. Well, yeah, and I'll take the, you know, I'll take the other side of the trade. It's not like you really have the moral high ground if you're paying for people to spit on other people. It's not like that's really like <laughs> prim and proper and white lace of you. I mean, like, what the fuck? That'll get you fucked up in Chicago and it'll get you fucked up by Secret <laughs> Service as well. I am surprised Secret Service did not catch the person that did it. Um, it. It may say something about the security detail that Mr. Eric Trump has. He might want to beef that up a little bit. There is no way in holy hell um, that the son of the president in this country um, should not be able to walk through a bar without getting spit on and, and not be able to identify the culprit, right? Off with their heads, man. Here we are. Off with their heads. Here we are indeed. Crazy, crazy times ah i feel like we should breathe a little bit breathing is good for you um you want to talk cypress hill i have a happy story sure you remember cypress hill insane in the membrane right they could just kill a man you remember them that 
That's about the extent of what I remember. I'm a bit, yeah, yeah, go ahead. That's what I remember. I like it. So, you know, the, the Cypress Hills, a California group that made a name for themselves in the 90s. They they catered a lot to like the stoner hip hop community. They did a great job once the legalization of marijuana started really taking off. Um, the, the, the lead person, gentleman by the name of, he went by the name of Be Real, um, started a cannabis company, Dr. Green Thumbs Dispensary. And so, you know, they are, they are the, the, one of the go-to dispensary names because of how much this Cypress Hill group identified with the stoner culture. And so they just partnered with Dr. Green Thumbs Dispensary, which will serve as their strategic e-commerce and delivery solution, providing them with direct consumer, direct to consumer distribution for cannabis products. So um, driven deliveries is, is, you know, it's a pub- publicly traded company. This is a big deal for both companies. It allows the publicly traded company, um, to really brand themselves on the back of, you know, what in the nineties was an illegal thing. And it allows obviously Mr. Real, <laughs> I'm going to call him Mr. Real to uh, monetize a brand that he's helped build over the past 20 years. So that's a win, win, win. What a time to be alive. Cannabis markets are roaring Illinois. Yeah. Lived there for some time. Uh, just legalized. Going to go full legal on uh, January 1st of next year. That's a big one because Chicago is a big population center. So dominoes falling, I believe, as a part of that bill. Um, marijuana criminalizations, you might know better than I, but marijuana criminalizations are going to go bye-bye as a part of that legalization. So, yeah, that's part of this whole thing, this whole bizarre world that we've been turning about, talking about. Things are changing. Uh, criminal justice frameworks are changing. It's it's all a part of it, folks. So, yeah, stuff is happening. Cypress Hill is getting deals. Lots of other musicians have deals, too. There's a Canadian band that has a deal. Gene Simmons is back in a brand. Martha um, Stewart. You know, Willie's got his... Mm-hmm. Willie, yeah, that's right. So that's good stuff. All the OGs, Martha Stewart, Willie Nelson, Snoop, be real. I like to see people get their flowers while they're here, right? It's a good thing. That's right. The OGs on the OGs. F- the Kush OGs. <laughs> the Kush OGs. I like it. FTC robocalls. I know you hate robocalls. I hate robocalls. I'll share well, them. I've gotten three fucking robocalls in the 40 minutes I've been talking. Well, I was going to share something, too. This is actually pretty fucking funny. Um, <laughs> I, I, say the, I say the F word a lot. And so as part of yeah, my daily too. therapy and... <laughs> And it's probably not nice if a if a real person is on the other end, but oftentimes it's not a real person on the other end of these calls. It's some pre-recorded thing, or it's a robot, or whatever. So normally, when I get a phone call, especially early in the morning, like pre whatever seven a.m. from a number that I don't know in whatever North Carolina or Florida or Iowa, I normally just pick up the phone and I start screaming. I either ask about the cruise I've won, like tell me about the fucking cruise I won today. <laughs> <laughs> or I say something like, <laughs> or I say something like, you really should go fuck yourself right now, <laughs> or like something mean, right? And then I just, and then I just hang up the phone, and it's just like, it's just part of my daily catharsis and 
sticking it to the robocallers, right? Because like you said, it's it's all the time. It's three t- it's three times an hour. So this is this is funny, and this is the actual funny part. <laughs> oh, um, man, there's more. We're getting our de- <laughs> yeah. This is the real funny part. Uh, we're getting our our we're getting our deck painted this week, and um, the area code in Spokane where we live is five zero nine. So. Um, we're getting our deck painted this week. The owner called me the day before, said my my guy's going to show up at 8 a.m. tomorrow. Um, that's it. We'll see you at 8 a.m. tomorrow. So the other day, my phone starts ringing. It's like it's like 6.50 in the morning, and my phone starts ringing from a Florida area code that's never called me before. It's not the 509 Spokane area code. So you know what I do, right? I go into my <laughs> fuck you routine. I pick up the phone, and I'm like, you really should go fuck yourself. And then I hang up. And so two. Two minutes later, it rings again from the same number. And what do I do? You double down. I double down. Of course you I do. I pick up the phone. And I, Didn't you hear me? You really should go fuck yourself. So I hear right before I hang up, I hear the guy say, but it's Truila painting. And the, the, the click, I hang up. And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Oh, that's so rich. I tell you people, it's cheaper than therapy, man. So I wait five minutes and I'm like, well, son of a bitch. I just put my foot in my mouth. The worst I've done in some time. What am I going to do? So <laughs> I just, I just decide I'm going to, I'm going to man up and call him back. So I dial his number and he answers the phone and I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I thought you were a, uh, robocall or whatever and he totally gets it he's like i know that's what happened he's like i have a florida area code it happens you know all the time people don't know it's me calling i'm I'm sure people don't do what i did all the time but anyway he was laughing about it i laughed about it and he's one heck of a painter so all all good all all, all well that ends well we you know we should do we should put up a link to the gentleman's business and we we, we, will do that so that anybody in the spokane or greater washington area um, can go and get some quality work done from this guy that had to listen to Mr. Hodge rant, not once, but twice, <laughs> thinking he was a robocaller. <laughs> uh, so the, and anyway, the reason we're talking about this is because finally the FTC has said they're going to start prosecuting the main, uh, let's call them perpetrators behind the uh, one billion robocalls that 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 go out in america so good news on that front and also fuck you to the government because i know damn well you can just press a button or tell the verizon or t-mobile or whatever carrier it is to start blocking these robocalls and you don't fucking do it you know why i know because you're listening to everybody's goddamn phone number and you're and you're tracking the phone numbers so you know who owns them so if you really wanted to you could eradicate the problem pretty quickly but you don't instead you're going to give the authority to verizon to charge me another five dollars a fucking month if i want robocalls blocked which is what's going to happen so anyway, thank you for prosecuting them. Fuck you for prosecuting them this late. And fuck you for pimping kids out, separating them from their parents and taking $750 and putting them in the pockets of your best friends while these kids don't even have a fucking toothbrush. Stop making me yell at painters, goddammit. <laughs> I think that uh, other than my last rant about the $750, um, and, and frankly, I don't care what that number would be. I would still feel the same way, but that's the part that really makes me... Um, that, that, that's the extra angry part. The rest of it makes me incredibly sad. Um, 
I, 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 I think that's the best way to end this. I know we had a couple of other things to touch on. Uh, people probably want to get to their 4th of July week. I imagine it's going to be a short week for most people like like us. Probably they want to celebrate with their families. Anything else that you need to get off your chest, Nick? No, we can talk about everything else next week. I am itching to get to my 4th of July week as well. So have a good one. Embrace your freedom. Drink a beer or shoot a gun or do whatever it is that um, makes you feel free. Love each other. Be good to each other. This has been episode 25 of Bizarro World. Enjoy.